0: For those of you who were here last week, uh, or just pay attention to our sermon series, you know that we are stepping into the second part of Ephesians chapter five and the beginning of chapter six. So some of you might be thinking, "What was? What will she say about this?" In some ways, I don't really even know where to start. Um, This week, I kept asking myself, "Who picked this text?" I realized it was me. Okay. I I recognize that there is something really beautiful about walking through books of the Bible and also something really terrible about hitting texts like this. Today's text is on what is considered household codes. I kind of don't even want to read it this morning. <laughs> because at first glance, it really does feel that bad. And to our ears today, it may be. The language comes across as especially exclusive for those who are non-binary or in same-sex relationships and households. For those who are single, that we just affirm all of these things. At the very least, taken literally, It is a passage that is not fully appropriate for our context. I apologize in advance, because the language of the text lacks inclusivity. Clearly, this letter was written at a particular time, and at first glance, we might feel that the author has it all wrong. He's confused, or at least creating some confusion for us. And this feeling may not be surprising to some of us, we might empathize with a reaction that sounds something like, ah, poor Paul, in the bless his heart kind of way. And after studying the passage and reading remarks from commentators this week in my gut, I just kind of kept thinking over and over again Howard. Howard. Because he seems to only be taking tiny steps in the right direction. And I was reminded that given the rhetorical approaches of his day, Paul is not going to be as direct about matters of justice that I would uh, hope him to be direct about. According to a wonderful blog post from the late Rachel Held Evans, as far back as the 4th century B.C. philosophers considered the household to be a microcosm, designed to reflect the hierarchical structure of the society, the gods, and ultimately the universe. Aristotle wrote that the smallest and primary parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. First century philosophers Philo and Josephus included the household codes in their writings as well, arguing that a man's authority over his household was critical to the success of a society. Many Roman officials believe the household codes to be such an important part of the Pax Romana that they passed laws ensuring its protection. And so, with Roman officials looking for every excuse to imprison Christians, the challenge to challenge the codes would e- uh, bring about even more unwanted scrutiny to the early church. This is the context in which Paul is writing. And yet, I assert that Paul still comes across more tame than Jesus, if you will. Or maybe he is confused. Or at the very least, stuck in his own place of privilege. But context is key. It is key today. As I mentioned last week, the entire preceding section is about imitating God, loving as God loves And today, Paul is making this tangible for households of his day. So we can't expect him to appear as some modern feminist or egalitarian, though he's definitely pushing those boundaries a bit, and we're going to get into that a little bit here. So I want to ask if we can try to learn something from today's text, asking ourselves, where is The good news. I think the good news is actually subversively at work in what, or more specifically, to whom Paul is addressing. You see, in the society where the patriarchal family structure was so pervasive, not only were arranged marriages common, women and children were seen as property but often the household included extended family members such as household servants. And Greco-Roman rhetoricians usually spoke exclusively to the heads of the household. At this point, I think we could all like, maybe just roll our eyes in unison, right? Yet, this part of the letter directly addresses women Children and slaves. And while we may not like what it says, the good news is that in the midst of oppressive systems and structures found even in households or the relationships that that form the basic foundations of society, each member of the household is a moral agent. Women, children, and slaves are free to claim agency, full participants as equals in Christ. In other words, Paul's words here indicate that it's not about the head of the household anymore. This is hard to decipher at first because we naturally read through our modern lens And that's where so many, I think, get caught up, use this passage to defend warped uh, forms of submission and hierarchy, the exclusion of same-sex couples or the relatively recent history of slavery. But I want to reiterate that this whole section hinges on mutual submission to one another, which is love in action. This is described in verse 21 which is actually at the tail end of one really long sentence in the original Greek, which is verses 1 through 21 that we read last week, okay? Verse 21, be subject or yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. This serves as the bridge between the previous section and then today's section, this household code. We might also consider today's text as an expansion of the codes found in Colossians chapter 3 and 4, which we can presume that the early readers would be familiar with already. Here, though, in Ephesians, the apostle is speaking specifically to Christian households because he is once again, and this should be of no surprise, concerned about Christian witness. And as I mentioned last week, a concern of Christian witness is something I think we can probably still get behind today. Specifically, as we contextualize Paul's words and consider them as focused on exposing, if you will, the deeds of darkness and all about being light in our context. All right. Admittingly, a bit begrudgingly, I am going to read our text today. So glad everyone on the street can hear it out of context. While we might poo-poo, Paul, for these words, commentator Ben Witherington says this. This kind of home would stand out as a Christian witness. Love and self-sacrifice, okay? Okay. So we might see this text as a bold and positive attempt to modify the existing structure by making better the harsher effects of patriarchy while setting a different course in a more egalitarian context. And as I said, this may be hard to pick up today, but let's tune our ears for that as I read, and we'll come back to just a few insights after reading. I'm not going to go verse by verse like I did last week. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husband should love their wives as they do their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself. And the wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters do the same to them. Stop threatening them. For you know that both of you have the same master in heaven. And with him, there is no partiality. Woo! All right. So we have to start in verse 21, okay? Which addresses all members of the audience, okay? Calling for mutual submission of all Christians, to one another. It is not specifically addressed to marital partners, but certainly includes them. For the readers, this verse should have called to mind what is often considered a hymn in the early church, the content of what is today Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through five, and it says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Our text also builds upon Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 3, about bearing with one another in love, which, which then demonstrates this mutuality. So overall, this verse is to be best taken as kind of the heading for this next section. And I want to make just a couple comments on a few of the verses. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. Now, it, this verse in the original Greek actually omits the words here translated as to be subject to. Therefore, whatever submission means in verse 21, it also means here. Another way to state that is we can understand being subject to as not a gender-specific activity. Okay. The, the normal understanding of the time that this was written was that only certain members of the household were doing the submitting, okay, or serving. Paul is saying that this is not the case in the Christian church where everyone submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reading this text then on the heels of the previous section indicates that while mutual submission may not be natural, it can and does happen when someone is filled with the Spirit, and is led by God in their behavior. Remember last week, I pointed out that verse in chapter 5 about discernment of the will of God, where it says, find out what is pleasing to the Lord. This exhortation, then, is now being exercised within the limitations by a defective social order right in the midst of households. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Now, scholars suggest that any analogy between the husband as head of the wife and as Christ is the head of the church is somewhat of a loose analogy. The main point is that the love of Christ and the love of one's partner entails this self-sacrifice and self-giving submission to one another. And in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, which says this, for an unbelieving husband is made holy through his wife, and an unbelieving wife is made holy through her husband. This then sanctifying role, if you want to call it that, is not gender specific. The direction of influence is not one way. And to provide a little additional clarity on this text, Paul is speaking to husbands and wives, to these partners, not to men and women in general, as in general submission, okay, of women to men in church or church leadership. And my new best friend, in the midst of, you know, reading for today, commentator Ben Witherington says this, Paul never commands the husband to actually exercise his headship. But you can notice that Paul spends a lot of time addressing the husbands within these households. In verses 23 through 28, Witherington continues by saying this, By stressing the Christian duties of the head of the household, he's guiding the head of the household into a new conception of his role that Christianizes his conduct in various ways and so turns marriage into more of a partnership and household management and also more into a matter of actualizing biblical principles about love of neighbor and honoring. others. Paul uses only 41 words to exhort wives, but he uses 116 to exhort the husband. And this exhortation to love is then not surprising at all in a patriarchal society. He's saying that loving one's partner is not optional. It is obligatory. He's stressing the point that you must love your partner. Notice in verse 29 through 32 that this partner relationship then terminates or relativizes, at least, the relationship previously had with parents. And there is a mystery In becoming one flesh, this third entity as a couple. The mystery is about the bond formed through kaleo, or the being glued or cemented to one another, not merely uh, intercourse as some sort of momentary sexual encounter. Again, my good friend Witherington puts it this way. Each personality is enlarged by the inclusion of the other, ideally affecting the perfect blending of two separate lives into one. Continuity with the old personality is not broken, but the radical transformation resulting from the intimate personal encounter creates a new self. A new self. Verse 33. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. Paul is exhorting believers to love one's partner as one's nearest neighbor. Okay. Then we get to the section on children and parents, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The word here for children in the Greek is tekna, which includes male and female, as well as adult children, but not limited to the adults. Typically in Greco-Roman Culture, a child was under the control of their father until the father died or was 60 years old. The Greek word used here, potter's, meaning... ...addressed to the fathers which is not surprising in this patriarchal society in which the education of children ages 7 to 16 is actually the responsibility of the father within these households. Paul is insisting that children not be treated merely as property, but deserving of respect. For me, this calls to mind a text that I have long been captured by since I had my own children. Luke chapter 1. Verse 17 says this, With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children. To turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Why? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then we get to verses 5 through 9 regarding slaves and masters. Again, here, the thing we must recognize is that the addressing of slaves is rare. Usually a slave had no choice in matters whatsoever. Whatever the master wished was the slave's command. But here, Paul is saying that this is no longer the case in Christian households. In other words, those enslaved... Are to hear that the will of God is what must be done, and therefore serving God, not human masters, has become their charge. Paul is not endorsing the enslavement of people or providing some sort of rational rationale to like encourage or undergird this institution. The main point he is trying to make is, is about reforming this existing institution within the context of the households. And in accordance with other writings attributed to Paul like Galatians chapter 3:28, let's say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. We can see a pattern, a continued deconstruction of various aspects of the social Relationships, including masters and slaves. Paul is chipping away at it bit by bit. There is a lot more, of course, that could be said about this text, and we could wrestle with it for quite some time. But in sum, Paul is equalizing. All must obey before the Lord and one another. And of course, this text and any other household codes we might read about in Scripture must be held in light of Jesus' teachings. And Jesus was clearly in the habit of turning hierarchy on its head, creating what we sometimes call an upside down kingdom or kingdom. We can take, for example, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Arguing amongst themselves, the disciples asked who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus responds, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Or we can take Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, as Jesus speaks about authority. And he says this, you know that the rules, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, I declare there is good news in this text, that through the addressing of all members of the household, there is good news that each member is a moral agent, full participants as equals in Christ. We might wonder where that leaves us today. And I think it leaves us with considering what that means in our own households, how we relate to one another or build family systems. As I'm sure you experience, our worst often comes out at home around those we love the most. In total, I think this text is less about a code, some sort of rules for conduct for us today, and more about asking us to consider how we relate to one another in the privacy of our own homes and within our family, systems, because it will bear witness to the work of Christ in our lives. Christ brings unity amongst the smallest and most basic building blocks within society, even today. And as we read last week, yes, our days are filled with evil, which is really about those toils and hardships and annoyances that we encounter every day. So in the ordinary and everyday spaces of our homes or family systems, may we be reminded that we are called to be imitators of God, to love as God loves. I am not going to go through this challenging exercise this morning, but I would encourage you to do something that's a little bit, eh, heretical maybe. I would encourage you to look at this text a couple more times. But when you do so, to invert the language, where it says wives, maybe insert husband or partner, and vice versa. Where it says parent, read child, and vice versa. Slaves and masters, switch those. Read it through a couple of times and pay attention to how the Spirit stirs in you and what the Spirit might say to you in the midst of that our context today. We give ourselves up, yielding to the Spirit and to one another for the good news of our neighbors. The good news that each person could know deeply that they belong to the kingdom and experience that inherent belonging and love. Our closest neighbors are often those in our households, or our immediate families. But again, this calling for mutual submission is amongst all Christians. So for those like myself, who might think Paul didn't go quite far enough in his pursuit of justice, we might welcome the Spirit and the ways of Jesus to challenge us this week, to move us more toward radically inclusive love for our closest neighbors, considering how we are living to give full agency to each person as participants in this body, this kingdom of Christ, to our partners, to our children, to the neighbors that we have, our family members. What does it look like to submit to one another as believers out of reverence for Christ. And in submission to one another, might we discover and embody the love of Jesus in the world. Amen.